0: Thank you for listening to the weekly message at First Baptist Church in Bushland, Texas. I'm glad you're here today. It's a, it's a blessing. It's a privilege to be able to uh, fill in for Jeff when he's able to get away with his family. And you know, that wasn't the worst open mic experience uh, this morning in church that I've had um, <clears throat> when I was a pastor at River Road Baptist Church. Um, I forgot to turn the heater on on the baptistry and it was in winter. The water was really cold and cold. And the guy showed up, and I was like, oh, man, I forgot to turn the heater on. And so I told him, I said, hey, brother, we need to baptize you next week. I forgot to turn the heater on. He goes, I, I can take the cold water. I said, you don't understand. It's going to be cold. He said, it'll be all right. My family's here. I can take it. So I said, okay. So I put on the waders and the robe, and I go down in the water, and it's just icy through the fishing boots. I mean, it's, the water is just icy. And uh, the mic is open, of course, to get ready for the church to hear the baptism, and he comes in, sticks his foot down the water, and he says, oh, shoot, Ex- except he didn't say shoot, and, uh, and I said, oh, I know I'm sorry. He said, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> half the church laughed, and the other half was just like, <laughs> just mouth agape, like, preacher, I don't think you can baptize a guy while he's in the process of backsliding uh, but anyway, we got it done, so those open mics are dangerous, dangerous. We're going to talk about customized Christianity today, customized Christianity. How many of you ever go to, you still go to First Cafeteria? Anybody? Well, my papa, when he was alive, he loved to take us to First Cafeteria, loved taking us there. I even used to go there sometimes on Friday nights with my girlfriends, just him and my grandma, because if you're broke and you want to take your girlfriend out to eat, and you don't have any money, your papa will pay for it at Fur's Cafeteria <laughs> on Friday nights. And if my girlfriends didn't like it, they were gone pretty quick, because I was good friends with my grandparents. And But, you know, you, t- you slide the tray down the line, it's like school food only better, right? Like, lots better, like, you can stay upright and stuff. And, and you, you, you only pick out what you want, right? And papa would always pick out... Liver and onions. We'd be like, Papa, don't you want some of the good stuff? And he would say, yeah, I thought about getting the meatloaf. Wait, wait a second. They got fried chicken and chicken fried steak and mashed potatoes and gravy and mac and cheese and fried okra. And if my mama wasn't there, you could line the tray with desserts just balanced on the edge, right, around that thing. A person trying to live a customized Christianity is kind of like visiting Furs Cafeteria. He thinks he can treat the Word of God or even God Himself like Furs Cafeteria. I'm going to pick out what I like, and I'm just going to ignore what I don't like. I'm going to, I'm going to skip that stuff that's unpleasant. Think of a customized Christian another way. Let's call him a Christian atheist. What is a Christian atheist? Well, an atheist is somebody that doesn't believe that God even exists, so they don't care to even recognize that there's a Scripture to live by. So a Christian atheist is someone who believes in God, but lives as if he does not exist. In uh, in other words, so today, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about First Cafeteria. Well, I'd like to reserve the right to bring it up again later if I could. But we're going to talk about... Those who believe in God but do not fear God. Those who believe in God but do not fear God. Now, let's be honest for a minute. Three out of four Americans say that they believe in God. But if we look at the lives of those 75% in the world, and maybe even in the church, can we say that three out of four Americans definitely do not live in a reverent fear of God. Their actions show that they do not actually fear Him. So in customized Christianity, here's what we want to do: we want to take the parts we don't like, and we're going to cut them out, ignore them, and we're going to take what we like and live that way because we don't really fear God. Instead of biblical theology, instead of biblical theology, what does the word of God say? Not, here are my opinions. Let me try to find some verses that uphold my opinions, what does the Word of God say, that's biblical theology, that I align my life and my opinions and my actions to it? Instead of biblical theology, the customized Christian has what I call a first cafeteria theology. So how did we get here? How did we get to everything being up to us and customizable? It's not just first cafeteria. How how do we remember Baskin Robbins, when it first came to your town. How many flavors? 31. Up to that point, we had pretty much lived with chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry, you know, the holy trinity of ice cream, right? And Baskin Robbins brought in 31 flavors. And we used to live at 3501 Landover near Fleetwood Park. And we'd walk over to that, uh, there used to be a putt-putt over there by that Dairy Queen and then a Baskin-Robbins, you remember, down by the swimming pool shop down in Western. We'd walk over there. I remember the first time I went in there with my buddies in the summer, and I told my dad, Dad, I had some money and I went to get some ice cream, but you don't even have to pay. You can get 31 little pink spoonfuls (laughs) of ice cream. You Remember those? I think orange leaf kind of follows suit nowadays a little bit, but... You could customize, get some customized ice cream at Baskin-Robbins. Burger King. Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce. Special orders don't upset us. Nobody's singing along? All we ask is that you let us serve it your way. How many of you remember that commercial? 40 and up, baby, raise your hands. Yeah customize everything. I didn't know this till this week. I knew the first part. You can customize your athletic shoes. Order the exact colors and styles and whatever. I didn't know this. You can customize your favorite toilet paper. Yeah, I wasn't sure about that. I guess if you're a Texas fan, you can put your big rival on there and, you know, take it from there. You can even get, God created us in his image. You can even try to create God in your own image And have your own bobblehead doll of yourself. If you want to spend the money, they'll make a bobblehead doll of you. I'm kind of interested in that, you know. I thought I was going to be a professional baseball player when I was a kid. And then I recognized that curveballs in about the seventh grade really scared me, you know. You can even customize a potential boyfriend or girlfriend, right? Match.com. Ladies, I want a guy who is tough and sensitive. Feeds the homeless by candlelight while riding a white horse. I want him to be six foot tall, 175, blonde hair, blue eyes, and I want him by Friday. (laughs) Yeah. So for a lot of reasons, customized Christianity has risen into the local church, unfortunately. I want to create God in my image, just like he created me in his image. But can I share something with you? Just a reminder. That ain't ever going to happen, is it? God is never going to allow us to pick and choose His character traits that we like and don't like. He's never going to allow us to cut up the Word of God and cut out what we do not like. I don't get to say, I'll take the love of God, but I don't want His wrath. I like the mercy of God, but I can sure do without His righteous judgment. I want His blessings in my life But that whole take up your cross and follow Jesus stuff has got to go. I mean, there's some parts in it that I really love and embrace. I like to hear about them and read about them. But I'm the king of my own world, and I get to choose those that apply to my life. I like that part about God has a plan for my life, and he wants to bless me and prosper me and give me a hope and a future. But the whole thing about sexual purity and one man and one woman for life give me a break. That's that's so outdated. I like the part about God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I like that, God, but God, don't even try to tell me to manage my resources in such a way that you're glorified and I am generous. I'll skip that. I love the God who says he's going to bless me coming in and going out. And of course, that means Sunday because nobody tells me what to do for entertainment on Friday and Saturday night. Nobody tells me what to do for fun. It's a customized Christianity. We believe in God, but we do not fear God. Of course, that's not biblical. In Psalm chapter 36, verses 1 and 2, King David was actually writing about the sinfulness of mankind. And if you remember this story, before he repents, he's going to eventually recognize the depth of his own sin. Before he repents, he's going to end up an adulterer, a drunk, a murderer, a liar. As a consequence, did you know this? As a consequence of David's sins, one of his sons, Amnon, is going to rape his half-sister, Tamar, and her full brother Absalom is going to have a party and put to death Amnon in front of his brothers and sisters. And by the time we get towards the last chapter of the story of the consequences of David's sins, Absalom has run David out of the city, and he has taken the wives of his father David and erected tents up on the roof of the palace, and he commits adultery in those tents with the wives of his father in front of the eyes of all Israel. You say, what? A mess. Yeah, I think David knows a thing or two about sin and its consequences, don't you? Notice what he says in Psalm 36, verses 1 and 2. This is the New Living Translation. You can harmonize it there with there's some some some, some different opinions about the Hebrew construct and the grammar, but I like the New Living Translation. Notice what it says. Send whispers to the wicked, deep within their hearts. They have no fear of God to restrain them. In their blind conceit, they cannot see how wicked they really are. Sin whispers. What do you think sin says? What about that oracle of sin? One translation calls it an oracle within the heart, an oracle of sin. What does that oracle of sin whisper? Go ahead. You can do whatever you want to do. It's not that big of a deal. Besides, it's your life. Don't take that God stuff so seriously. It's your body. You can do whatever you feel like with it. Whatever feels good, you can do it. Don't let them judge you. Don't let them impress their values upon you. You do whatever you want. It's not going to hurt anybody else anyway. Send whispers to the wicked. You can believe in God, but don't take Him too seriously. David said, they have no fear of God to restrain them. They have no fear of God to change them. They have no fear of God to conform them to the image of Jesus. Therefore, they do whatever they want. They do not fear God. And and notice what he says at the end. In their blind conceit, they can't even see. They don't have the ability to see how wicked they really are. Now let me ask you a question. What if these verses are talking about us? What if, what if these verses are talking about me? Send whispers to the wicked that do not fear God. What if we don't really have an honest, true, reverent fear of God to restrain us? What if we can't even see how wicked we really are? What if we believe in God, but we don't really fear God? Now, talking about the fear of God is kind of tricky. You know, we don't want to go back to the days of Pharisaical legalism where some angry guy with the Bible just beats you upside the head for, you know, in church for a while and just tries to get you to conform uh, to his image and his likeness. We're not talking about the angry Bible thumper. You know, what? I was a youth pastor during seminary, First Baptist Church Mansfield, one of my buddies in the church, I'd become pretty good friends with him pretty quick. Uh, one week we got together and he said, you know, I, I took my boy to church. It was his first Sunday in big church. You know, he just turned four. It was his first Sunday in big church. I was like, yeah, how'd that go? He said, he said this, on the car ride home, my son said, dad, God's really mad at us, huh? My buddy said, well, why do you think that? His son said, he made that guy in the suit come and point his Bible at us and yell at us for like four hours. (laughs) I guess when you're four, 30 minutes feels like four hours, right? I'm not suggesting we go back to angry legalism, but we can't stay where we are now. You know God is loving, some will say, and kind, and you can do whatever you want because he's going to love you anyway, but we, we really need to be careful here because the justice of God is true but it's incomplete. The grace of God is true, but it's also incomplete. The Bible says that when Jesus came, he was full of grace and truth. So when we talk about the fear of God, we've got to be very careful not to move into legalism where you have to do this or you have to do that or God won't love you. We're not saying that. But at the same time, we can't stay where we are because it becomes a license to sin and do whatever you feel like doing. We need to understand God's love, and we need to live in a very reverent fear of God. So how do we balance that tension? How do we balance the tension that is going to lead us to that healthy place with the fear of God? What is the fear of God? You know, I'm glad you asked. You know, I can see so many of you are taking notes out there on those bulletins that Tammy provides every Sunday, and I can just feel the amens bubbling out there. And I got that question. What is the fear of God? Let's, let's say it this way by way of formula. There's lots of ways we could define it biblically, but let's put it this way. Loving God loving God plus respecting God equals fearing God. Loving God plus respecting God equals fearing God. Would you say it with me? Loving God plus respecting God equals fearing God. Come on, some of you charismatic folks, help the Baptist and Methodists around you. Come on help them, bring them along, grab them by the hand. Here we go. Say it again. Loving God plus respecting God equals fearing God. When I was a kid, my best friend was my dad. And you could have asked me, who loves you more than anyone in the world? And I would have said, my mom and my dad and my grandmommy. If you had also asked, are you afraid of your mom? Nope. You're afraid of your grandmother? No. Why? Are you afraid of your dad? I sure am. Aren't you? (laughs) What are the six most fearsome words a kid can hear growing up? Wait until yo I mean, your daddy gets home, right? Wait until your daddy gets home. Wait until your daddy gets home. Some people nowadays say you don't need a daddy to help raise your kids. Sure, you can do without a daddy, but that don't mean it's to be done. You can drive your car with the feet, but does that make it a good idea? Picture this, mom can have some serious bat speeds when she swings a paddle. She can have that boy lined up on that bed and said, you're going to get 10 spankings and the kid can be like, so what? He says, you know what? Mama says, you know what? Forget it. I'm just going to wait till your daddy gets home and I'm going to tell him. The kid will be like, no, mama, no, mama, no, no. Let me have 15 spankings instead of 10. Let's get it over with now, right? Well, some of you are appalled that the preacher's talking about spankings today, but the point is this. The healthy, firm love of a good daddy always produced a healthy fear in the child. Would you agree with that? Now multiply that times a billion as it relates to our Heavenly Father. Loving God plus respecting God equals fearing God. We've lost that healthy, reverent Fear of God, because we can think we we think we can do whatever we want to do. The stupid government of the United States has even placed its endorsement upon killing babies babies, and every other abhorrent thing you can imagine in our culture, and while we love him because of who He is, because he first loved us, because while we were sinners he loved us love it and, and, and let me say this: love is not just what he does, it 's who he is. But because of that love, in return, we say, God, I'm going to love you with all of my heart, and I'm going to respect you with all of my heart, and I'm going to honor you, listen, and I'm going to fear you. Because I think I can hide my sin from you like I tried to hide it from my daddy, but I can never hide from the presence of the God of the universe. God, I respect and honor that you're a holy God. As a loving Father, I love you, but I respect that you are consuming fire. I love you as the God who is full of grace, but I respect that you are a righteous judge. I love you and desire to have a personal relationship with you, but I also respect that your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And God, you might ask me to do some things I'm just not comfortable doing. And because I love you, And because I respect you, I want to fear you and honor you with obedience in everything that I do. Tragically in the world today, people are like, I don't want to serve a God that I have to be afraid of. I'm not supposed to fear God. I'm supposed to love God. Yes, God is loving, but let me say this. Fearing God is not a bad thing. It's a righteous thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's filled with blessings and promises. In fact, Go to the book of Proverbs. We'll see three of these blessings, three results, three blessings of the fear of God. Just, just three simple ones in the book of Proverbs. First in Proverbs 9 of verse 10. Proverbs 9 of verse 10. Notice what it says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You want to be wise? It starts with the fear of God. There are other methodologies and other examples God gives us. He goes on in the Proverbs to say, if you want to walk with the wise, I mean, if you want to be wise, you've got to walk with the wise. In other words, you can't. somebody said, you can't soar with the eagles if you run with the turkeys, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The second blessing, the second result, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, a fountain of life, Turning a person from the snares of death. Sorry, I didn't think of this this morning. I just thought of that song we used to sing. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Remember that? Gush, 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 gush. All that stuff. <laughs> the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. Listen, there's some kids nowadays with all the technology and all the money and all of the, all of the options at their fingertips. There's some high school and college kids that are playing games with stuff that plays for keeps. The Word of God just said, the fear of the Lord can help turn you from those snares. Listen to this. Dr. Dobson says this. I heard this 25 or 30 years ago, and it stuck with me. He said this. As you're raising your kids when they're little, always catch them when they do something wrong, even if it's funny. He says, for example, Daddy's driving down the street, Mama's in the front, kids in the back. And daddy says, you better keep your hands to yourself. And the son behind him goes... Bleh. And mama sees it out of the corner of her eye. Some of you giggled. He says, don't giggle even if it's funny. Catch him in that. Say, young man, I saw you do that. But you stick your tongue out at your daddy. You do what he tells you to do. Now, why does he say that? He says this. Our kids needs, need years of getting caught and facing the consequences. The main restraint, the main accountability, if you will... In the mind of teenagers contemplating sinful or dangerous actions, the main one is not love of God, it's not love of country, the main restraint or accountability in the mind of the teenager is the fear of getting caught. Huh. The wisest man who ever lived wrote in the book of Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life and it turns a person, it keeps a person from playing games with stuff that plays for keeps. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. The third blessing, the third benefit. Notice Proverbs 22 and verse 4. Humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. Humility and fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. Now, I'm not saying your bank account's going to get fat and you're going to live to be 100. But can I tell you something? If God says wealth and honor and life, His definition of those words is way better than anything we could ever find in the world. Do you agree with that? So I may not fully understand and comprehend what that's going to mean in my life, but I will embrace it because it's true even if I don't understand it. I can't work on my air conditioner. You know how much air conditioner skills I have? I can replace the filter. I got a brother-in-law that understands it from the time the electricity flows through it, through the thermostat, up to the thing in the roof, and the thing outside. I don't even know what to call them. The, The... the copper thing and the fan thing and all that stuff, right? But can I tell you something? I may not understand my air conditioner, but I know how to go 70, 69, 68, 60. I know how to bring that thing down. And I embrace the comfort that it brings. Listen, you may not understand what it means that the fear of the Lord brings wealth and honor in life. But I can, can I tell you something? If God says he's going to bring it, his definition of what that means is going to be good. The fear of God is not something that we run from. It is a fact of his character, and we embrace it with our whole hearts. We say, God, I know that you provide access to me through the blood of Jesus, and you allow me to approach your throne of grace and confidence. I get to find help in my time of need, but God, I also embrace and respect that you are the holy God of the universe. And when I bring my sinful self into your presence, I do so with fear and in awe of who you are. What's the fear of the Lord? It's loving God. plus plus respecting God, and that equals fearing God. And here's the thing. And here's the thing. When I fear God, I will obey God. When I fear God, I will obey God. Go to Genesis chapter 2. This is one of the greatest stories in all of Scripture about the fear of God, Genesis 22. And i got to tell you something. To this day, it is very difficult for me to wrap my human mind around the truth of this narrative. Abraham prayed for decades for God to give him a son, to give him an heir. He's well over 100 years, and God finally gives him Isaac. But slowly, Abraham takes Sarah out of the number two spot in his priorities and moves Isaac up there. Sound familiar? Eventually, he takes God off the throne and tries to put Isaac as his number one priority. We get to Genesis chapter 22, and God has said to Abraham, Take your son, your only son, the one you love, the one I gave you, take him to the region of Moriah to the mount, and sacrifice him to me. Wow. They load up. The servants help him get there. He leaves the servants behind. He says to Isaac, who's probably a teenager, 12 to 17, 18 years old, He says, Son, I need you to carry the stuff. I'm an old man. Isaac carries the wood and the other preparations. And they get to the altar. And on the way up, Isaac says, Dad, where, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, The Lord will provide. Uh, and they get there. And I always think about the faith of Isaac as well. Isaac had to climb on that altar. <laughs> Abraham's a hundred something. He ain't picking up no teenage boy and putting him up there. Isaac had some faith here too. By the time we get to chapter 22 and verse 11, Abraham's ready to slay his son and sacrifice them to God. And notice what the Word of God says. Jesus is talking here. It says in verse 11, the angel of the Lord called out to him. I'll show you why I think it's Jesus. The angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Notice it says at the end of verse 12 there towards the last part, you have not withheld your son from me. You have not withheld from me your son. The angel of the Lord, sometimes in the Old Testament, a little side note here, sometimes the angel of the Lord, the angel of God is, quote, an angel like Gabriel or somebody, Michael or somebody. But sometimes in the context we see that it was a visitation of Jesus called a Christophany or just him speaking from heaven like here. Here's the point. Here's the point. Abraham obeys to the point of raising that knife. And write this down. Write this down. The greatest evidence of the fear of God is complete obedience to God. The greatest evidence in my life of the fear of God is complete obedience. Listen, if you don't get anything else today, get this. The greatest evidence of the fear of God is... It's complete obedience to God. Not partial obedience. How many of your parents will put up with partial obedience? Well, I told you to take out the trash and you took it to the back door. Good job, son. I told you to quit smacking your sister and you quit hitting her in the face and just went to the gut, you know? <laughs> partial obedience? No, not partial obedience. Not delayed obedience. So by the time I get home from work today, I want the house cleaned up. I want your room cleaned up. I want the grass mowed. Dad comes pulling in the driveway, and you start, you start, uh, you start picking up the room. Grassed mode, nothing's done. Is that going to count? <laughs> Wait until your daddy gets home, right? It ain't going to count. Delayed obedience, partial obedience. Listen, we're talking about the kind of obedience that's quick and immediate and complete. God, I may not like what you're saying. It may not be comfortable or convenient for me, but I will do what you tell me to do. The greatest evidence of the fear of God is complete obedience to God. I like the way Pastor Ray Pritchard defines it. Pastor Ray Pritchard. The fear of the Lord is an ongoing attitude of my heart that moves me to choose over and over again to obey God when it would be be easier to do something else. Look at that. The fear of the Lord is an ongoing attitude of my heart That moves me to choose over and over again to obey God when it would be easier to do something else. Now, we're not talking about customized Christianity. We're we're not talking about, I'll take this part of God, but not this part. We're talking about being fully submitted, wholly devoted, 100% sold out to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's not my will, Lord, it's your will. Because I love you, because I respect you, therefore, with a reverent awe and fear, I choose to obey you. Christian atheists customize Christianity. It's the opposite, isn't it? God, I'll serve you. I'll work in the church. I'll serve you, but I'm not going to quit sleeping with my boyfriend or girlfriend. God, I believe in you, but I'm not going to stop watching porn. I'll follow you, God, but I'm not going to tithe or do the whole missions thing. I'll pray, I'll go to church regularly, but I'm not going to surrender every area of my life to you. In other words, I believe in God, but I do not fear God. This is the modern day tragedy, isn't it? It's passing itself off as Christianity when reality It's something very far from truly following Christ. Now, again, listen, I don't want the pendulum to swing over to angry pharisaical legalism. That's not what we're talking about. But at the same time, we can't settle for a license to do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it. I'm talking about because of God's goodness, I want to serve Him with my whole life. Because of the grace of Jesus My only reasonable, logical response is to submit to Him fully as a living sacrifice. To love Him as my Heavenly Father, but respect Him as the Lord of creation. And therefore, fear Him, and because I fear Him, I obey Him. Well, we'll finish with this, the point of application. In seminary, my preaching professor, Dr. Nelson, said, You're preaching better finished with the so what. Well, so what? So what? Two questions. Two questions. In what area of your life are you not fearing and not obeying God? You're trying to put it out of your mind and heart, aren't you? It's not working, is it? You say, yeah, Carter, we're not used to you being quiet. Let the Holy Spirit speak into your heart and your mind right now. In what area of your life are you not fearing and not obeying God? The main area just came screaming into your consciousness. It ain't in the sub anymore in the basement. It's up right there in your heart. So the second question is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Loving God plus respecting God equals fearing God. And when I fear God, I obey God. Let's pray together. Father, Your Word is so rich. God, thank You that You don't give us a tray and run us down a serving line and let us pick and choose what we like and don't like. you've said very clearly that if anyone would come after you, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Jesus. Father, we all sense something in our lives, part of our lives where we're not fearing and not obeying you. God, don't let us off the hook. We pray that your Holy Spirit would convict us in regards to sin and righteousness and judgment. God, you're a personal God who wants to have a personal relationship to us through your son, Jesus. But Father, you are the creator of the universe. You are the one who is high and lifted up. And when the men of God saw you in your power, they fell on their faces and begged for death because you are a consuming fire. God, move in our hearts now. We pray, Father. That, that part of our lives that we're hanging on to, that we think we can hide from you like we tried to hide our actions from our earthly daddies. God, we know that we can never run, we can never hide from the presence of Almighty God. So today, when you ask us what are we going to do about it, we're going to lay it at the feet of Jesus, Father. We're going to beg for forgiveness, and we're going to do whatever it takes to get our beliefs, to get our theology, to get our lives in line with you. And we're going to do it in Jesus' name. Amen.